0: Earthquakes are amazing phenomena that can in minutes completely change our perception of reality. What we had counted on, trusted in, taken for granted as solid or even permanent, unshakable, is suddenly shaken apart and often never the same again. Life brings earthquake-like experiences for all of us, whether we want them or not. We cannot control that. But to some degree, What we can and must control is our reaction to them. Sometimes everything we thought we knew about God, about Jesus, and even about what's important or impressive in life, gets shaken. Might there be some hidden value, some hidden treasure to be gained from these oh-so-uncomfortable experiences? The answer is yes.
1: I just had an earthquake-shaking experience. Pete announced that I was starting a new series. I was not prepared to do that. I, with your permission, can I, can I just continue on in the series? Uh, okay, thank you. Man. Um, in the series today, we're going to meet a man, a suicidal man, who experiences one of these earthquake-shakings. And he's an individual that he was at a season in his life where he didn't care at all about God, about Christ, certainly. And he was right at the midnight hour in life. It was right at that time where, for whatever reason it seemed, and we'll see the reason, it would would have been easier to die than to live. But it all changed in an instant. And and I'm wondering, maybe some of you can remember back in your life, I certainly can, when um, God... And especially God as he's revealed himself in Christ was completely unimportant to me. It didn't have any influence on my life whatsoever. I didn't know. I didn't care. And that's the way I live my life. And then I can remember in the summer of 1973 when that all changed where, where Christ went from being unimportant to me to becoming the most important person in my life, the center of my life. And so it's been ever since. It, it was an earthquake shaking. It changed their entire trajectory of my life, we're going to to meet a man suicidal man, midnight hour of his life and that all changes, Christ goes from being unimportant to becoming supremely important, now it raises this whole question, uh, which is a very interesting one, what is important, for example if I were to ask everybody in this room to write on a sheet of paper, what's important to you right now, we would get all kinds of different answers appropriately so, I mean think about it, it depends on the season in your life it depends on your cognitive development. I mean, for example, if you were invited to some kind of a game show and the host was going to take your 3-year-old child and give your 3-year-old three, child a choice between three of their favorite candy bars or a check written out for a million dollars and, and you're, you're the parent, you can't give any advice. How many think my 3-year-old would probably take the favorite candy bars? Can I see your hands? yeah goodbye fortune for you so what's important to us changes it changes throughout seasons in life okay if we get a bad doctor report what's important finding out is there any treatment you know if we're, we're in a relational collision of some sort what's important can I mend this relationship a lot of times in our life it's like did I pass the exam you know did did I get the raise I mean so this changes all the time but there's some foundational issues about what's important that can, that can guide us and navigate us through the day-to-day, week-to-week, season-to-season important issues in our life. Now, there was an American psychologist named Abraham, always pronounces his name wrong, Maslow, and he wrote a lot about this thing of what's important, so if I could just slip to that slide. And he gave this, this hierarchy of what he calls the hierarchy of needs, and the reason what's important as a question is, is something to consider because what's important to you or I at any given point in life, that's what motivates us. That's what engages us. That's what we're in pursuit of. So Maslow, he came up with this set of uh, hierarchies of need. He said that, first of all, people have to get their physiologic needs met, meaning you know you have to have food, you have to have water, and that sort of thing. The next thing that he said humans will seek after, be motivated to seek after, is safety. That's, you know, a roof over your head and that kind of thing, stable income. He said then after that, people look for uh, connection with other human beings, a sense of belonging, a sense of love and being loved and that kind of thing. Then he says next, they'll start looking for esteem, meaning I, I want to know that I have value. I want to know that I, I'm significant, that I matter. And so we look for that and then at the top of his pyramid he had this thing by the way he never developed a pyramid other people put his writings in a pyramid but uh, he had self-actualization a self-actualization in Maslow's mind it was that I I reach my full potential all that there is in me it's now developed it's ready to be maximized and used for the rest of my life now when you look at this there's a lot of logic to it. it it helps us and and maslow has been or maslow has been misunderstood sometimes saying that you have to have this one met before you go to this one before this one this one and he does say that but he also recognizes that's not necessarily true now i want to show you this in one more version by the way let let me say this this is the version we just looked at this little one maslow did that in, in 1943 Maslow was born in 1908. He died in 1970. But that version, that first was in 1943. Now, do you see anything different in this version? This was also done by Maslow. How many just, you're daring this morning, you're bold, and you say, Yes, indeed, Randy, I see something different. (laughs) Feeling a little shaky? (laughs) Well, he added something, okay? In 1967. He added a, a piece to the, the pyramid. Now, again, he never actually drew a pyramid, which he calls self-transcendence, connecting to something beyond self. And when you, when you read, it's really fascinating. When you read his descriptions of self-transcendence and self-actualization and the list of traits that he writes, you, you would think you were reading something from Scripture. You would think you were reading a description of the characteristics of Christ himself. Tuck that away, okay? So he adds this when he's toward the end of his life. He, uh, he Like I say he was um, 1967, so I guess he was in, um, I don't know, his late 50s when he wrote that. So tuck this away. It was just a human's effort to help us understand what's important to us at various seasons in life and therefore what motivates us because that's, uh, in fact, what happens. Whatever's important to us, knowingly or unknowingly, motivates us engages us and moves us forward now i'm going to take time to read a kind of a long portion of scripture now where we're going to meet our character this this suicidal man who goes from thinking of christ as completely inconsequential and unimportant to becoming the most important person in life i, I know some of us uh, we like grew up in the church or ever since we were kids we were taking to church and like that but then there are some wow people like me that uh, the only way that I you know, kind of knew about God in his name was hearing it as a curse word until uh, you know, I was 23 when I turned to Christ. So I can remember that point in time where Christ did not matter to me all those years, and then when he did. Curious, how many, you're like me, you can remember that there was a season in your life where Christ meant nothing to you, had no importance, but then there was a time... It might have been a period of time, gradual, but all of a sudden Christ became supremely important to you. How many of you had an experience like that? Can I see your hands? Okay. So you'll be able to identify with this, uh, maybe a little bit different than those who were grown up in the church. However, you that grew up in the church and probably knew Christ and were following him to the best of your ability ever since you were a little kid, you have escaped a lot of bruises and battering and scars and confusion and chaos that the ones of us that raised our hand uh, likely did not escape. Last week I had something really funny happen, and I noticed that they're not sitting there. Do you guys remember I was engaging? (laughs) I was engaging with a couple in a conversation. How many were in that service? Okay. I'm trying to engage this couple in a conversation, and the lady is stoically staring me down. And I'm desperately trying to get her to respond. I'm saying, so what's your name? (laughs) Well, I find out at the end of it she couldn't speak English she was one of our Spanish so this guy right here was desperately trying to explain to her back there but uh, it uh, it made me feel better afterward because I thought oh this lady is so mad at me I should have never done this but yeah I'm babbling on I'm thinking, okay maybe if I say something different she'll respond (laughs) anyway so I'm going to read this portion of scripture from the book of Acts Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 23. It is long, so be patient with me. After giving them a severe beating, the them is the apostle Paul and his partner at the time, a man named Silas. They go to Philippi, Greek city. They, they find a demonized girl. She was a, a fortune teller, but this demonic entity was enabling her to predict the future to some measure, not 100% accuracy, but to some measure the owners of this girl were making money off of her because she was predicting the, kind of a fortune teller sort of, sort, of, sort of a person well when the apostle Paul casts this demon out of her she can't, she can't do this anymore and so her owners get angry they drag Paul and Silas into the uh, arena so, so to speak, or the center of um, the marketplace and all at once the crowd goes crazy beats them up, they're arrested and that's, that's where we pick up so after they're arrested, they're beaten after giving them a severe beating this would have been probably a 39-lash beating they threw them in prison charging the jailer to guard them securely upon receiving such an order he threw them into the inner cell and clamped their feet securely between heavy blocks of wood around midnight Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God while the other prisoners did what? listen intently tuck that away too, we'll come back suddenly there was a violent earthquake here's our earthquake shaking suddenly there was a violent earthquake which shook the prison to its foundations all the doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose very suggestive, let's go on the jailer awoke when he saw the doors open he drew his sword and was about to what? this guy's ready to commit suicide you're going to see later he's got a family at home He's ready to end his life. He's ready to injure them irreparably and take his own life. Anyway, he was about to kill himself, for he assumed that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself. We're all here. Calling for lights, the jailer ran in, began to tremble, and he fell down in front of Paul and Silas. Then leading them outside, he said, Men, what must I do to you tell me? be saved what must i do to be saved they said trust in the lord jesus and you will be saved you and your household now this jailer takes paul and silas it says if you read the passage as it goes on to his home and it says they they had their wounds washed they were evidently so severely lacerated that they had wounds and so this jailer is washing their wounds it's the middle of the night it's like maybe who knows by then one o'clock two o'clock three o'clock in the morning and paul and silas evidently then shared the truth about god as it's revealed in christ to the rest of his family and so the story ends so this guy goes from not caring about christ at all to to christ becoming supremely important from being ready to end his life to give up on life itself to suddenly really ready to live life in a whole different way and many of you I'm sure your stories are like that too maybe uh, all in between and not so severe so let's look at this a little more carefully Acts 16:30. then leading them outside the jailer takes Paul and Silas outside of the jail he said men what must I do to be saved now the thing I want you to consider is, is why would this be on his mind? What would provoke this thought? I, I mean, there's no indication at all that this guy was religious in any way or form. There is no indication that he had heard about Christ before. Being in the Roman Empire, he would have been familiar with God, gods, goddesses, and so forth, living in Philippi, a Roman colony. But, but what provoked him? Why would he go from being ready to take his life they're then coming outside and asking these men, what must I do to be saved? What, what did he mean by saved? Did he mean just save his life? That couldn't be what he meant because he was ready to take his life. So, so what triggered this? What, what provoked it? I want to suggest to you what provoked it is this verse that we've already read. Verse 25. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were doing what? Praying. And doing what? Think of, you know, Christian songs, Christ-oriented songs. To who? To God. While the other prisoners what? I just want to throw this out and I might come back to it or I might not. Most of us experience some midnights in our life. Some times where it is not fun to be us. Our circumstances are not what we want. We're getting what we didn't deserve. We're in pain mentally, emotionally, maybe even physically. And we don't think it matters how we respond. We, we don't think anybody's watching. We don't think anybody's listening. But I want to suggest to you the reason that this man, who didn't care anything about Christ, drags these men outside of the jail and says, what must I do to be safe? I want to suggest the evidence is he heard what they were praying and what they were singing. And what if you were the jailer? Bear with me for a minute because we're gonna do something special this morning. Try to imagine you being the jailer and you hear these men that had been beaten bloody and were locked in stocks and they're singing a song like what, we're gonna start in just a minute, but I want you to consider something else. This jailer was used to hearing individuals that had been beaten like this and locked in a prison. He's used to hearing them cry and moan in pain. He's used to hearing them curse God and curse man and curse the jailer and curse the ones that hurt them, full of anger, full of bitterness. He's used to that. He's not used to hearing individuals that because of being loyal to their God were beaten and arrested and had their life limited for that period of time but instead of cursing their god instead of saying to their god why are you letting this happen to me i am here because i serve you i was faithful to you how could you let this happen to me and crying and begging for god to help them get out he didn't hear any of that there's no indication that he heard any of that they prayed and they sang hymns to god so you're the jailer you're the jailer and you're listening And you're hearing the words to a song perhaps like this one. Fasten, ratchet your attention on the words to this song that we sing a lot in here. It it is to me probably the most beautiful song, the most meaningful song that we sing. All our songs are great, but this one has a special place in my heart. Listen to the words very carefully, and I'll come back. For mercy and instead you hear this you hear hear these men praising their God in spite of their pain Uh, asking to see more of his glory they're not angry at their God they're not confused at their God they're they're wanting just to behold him even in a deeper way Christians you that are Christians here you that are real authentic Christ followers you got to hear me on one thing you're going to go through midnights in your life it's inevitable and it's not going to be fun. You're going to be confused. You're going to be wounded. You're going to be hurt. You're going to feel imprisoned by circumstances. You're going to want to run. you want to get out of the circumstance you're in. you want to get rid of the pain. But sometimes God brings us to those places, those midnights in life, because there's someone somewhere. We don't even know who they are. We're, they may be the person we least expect. There are prisoners like ourselves, other prisoners that are listening attentively to our reaction to our midnight folks you are so loved by god you you are so ever in his in the center of his attention that you can have the same confidence that paul and silas had that no matter what is occurring in your life We can know that we are loved. We can know that he is with us. We can know that he is for us. And we can, because we've seen his glory as it's revealed in Christ on the cross, he's the one that will die for you and I, who did die for you and I. And so no matter what the circumstance, we can praise him and we should praise him. We don't have to be in chains mentally and emotionally ever, regardless of our circumstances. If we maintain that that picture in our hearts and minds of the glory of God. I've said this before, and I'll say it again to you, and I want to challenge some of you with this. If there is anything that can happen in life that can shake your trust in Christ, then you need to examine your trust in Christ. Because once a human being sees the glorious, self-sacrificial love of our Creator God, Christ, for us on that cross, if that doesn't end every doubt about His utter devotion to your and my highest well-being and happiness then we have some sort of a confused notion, and we're going to talk about this real specifically, confused notion about what faith is. Now, you may be starting out young in your journey, and I understand, trusting God builds as we feed ourselves, immerse ourselves in His Word and His teaching, and we experience life by following Him and so forth. But once you've seen the glory of God, the the sacrificial love of God in Christ on that cross, you should not be shakable. Your trust should not be shakable. Okay. Okay so they asked this question then leading them outside or the man asked this question men what must I do to be saved now I want you to think about something what would you answer what, what would you answer the man this man if there ever was a man that was ready <laughs> ready to turn to Christ but, but the man asked what must I do his heart has been awakened by the prayers and the singing of these these God-honoring individuals in the midnight hour, in chains, in pain. And what's your answer? What do you say to this this individual? Well, here's here's some answers that probably in almost any church or any Christian book you might find, and it might be your answer. But here, I'm going to go through a list. You might say to this man, this jailer, who wants to be saved, You might tell him, pray the sinner's prayer. By the way, before I go through this list, please listen to me because I I know I'm going to, you know, make some of you uncomfortable. A person can get saved by hearing the most confusing instructions if their heart is already at the place where they just are seeking God. They know that following themselves is something they no longer want to do, and they're at a place where they're, they're ready to follow God. They're ready to follow God as he's revealed himself in Christ so even though they're given misinformation bad instructions they will still often be saved not because of the instructions they receive but in spite of the instructions they receive i'm saying this because i know some of you got saved authentically saved you really put your trust in christ became his follower but you were given some of these poor descriptions of what must i do to be saved so so don't be insulted I'm not questioning your salvation I I just want you to follow with me so some some people would hear this jail or this Philippian jail they say pray the sinner's prayer what what does that even mean to someone that has no understanding of God or God's word or anything like that ask Jesus to come into your heart okay does does he literally take up a I mean what, what does that even mean where do we get that from in scripture you show me a scripture that says that it's not there Ask Jesus to come and make you the kind of person he wants you to be. Once again, what, what does that even mean? Believe that Christ died for your sins and rose again. Well, these, these are facts. This is, this is a good foundation for real trust, but it's, it's not the thing that, that the man needs to hear. Let's go on. Believe that Jesus took the punishment your sins deserved and now accept the payment. Common thing that, that gets said in Christian books and in churches pastors like me say things they got i don't never have but a lot do accept jesus as your personal savior that's almost considered you know orthodox that but it's it's not sufficient what does that even mean think about somebody like this jailer who had no understanding and taking jesus as your savior what what does that even mean savior from what confess you're a sinner bound for hell and ask christ to save you another common instruction You'll hear in churches. Trust in the shed blood of Jesus alone for your salvation. Go on. Here, look at this diagram. There's this chasm of sin between you and a holy God. But look, Jesus' cross comes to make a bridge so you can cross over. Do you want to cross over? What on earth does that mean to somebody that is not familiar with scriptural talk? And, and, and more importantly, it's wrong it's not the answer to what must I do to be saved none of these things that I have read are the answer to the question what must I do to be saved Rand are you saying that when I said that to somebody and they, they started becoming Christ's father they're not saved no I said that earlier they are saved if their heart is in a condition and they're ready to follow Jesus but they're not saved because of the misinstructions they receive. they're saved in spite of the misinstruction they receive. alright let me, let me go on I think I have one more or a few more? Okay. Pray and ask God to give you a new heart for Jesus' sake. Accept the finished work of Christ on the cross and believe his free, and, and receive his free gift of salvation. Again, what does this mean to somebody like the Philippian jailer? He hasn't read any Bible. How about this one? Come be washed in the blood of the Lamb and be born again. I, I mean, all these things sound biblical to some degree the unfortunate truth is they all mislead someone we make this so complicated we make this so muddy and God wants it to be so clear and so easy okay I'm, I'm just you're mad at me now I know that so <laughs> I'm gonna ask a question would you rather believe what church folks say and those are the typical sayings and actually my list is larger than that And what pastors say, and what Christian book writers say, would you choose to believe? Because these are all the sayings in the Christian books, and pastors say, and churches say, would you choose to believe them, or would you choose to believe the Apostle Paul, the man that the the Spirit of God chose to write 13 books in the New Testament? How many would believe the Apostle Paul, what he says? He, He Paul's answer to the to the question, "What must I do to be saved?" How many would say? i'm going to change my mind from now on and i'm going to i'm going to say what the apostle paul said instead of what i hear in churches and christian literature and from pastors how many would choose the apostle paul over over the other sources can i see your hands i really do want to see your hands on this (laughs) okay you say randy why are you making such a big issue of this because it's a big issue it's the biggest issue I, I'm doing the young adults group on Thursday nights now. just had my first uh, night this past Thursday where they wrote out a bunch of questions. It's about 46 questions, and um, I'm just going in there for three, three Thursday nights and answering these questions and having dialogue with them. And I want to tell you, I am just so thrilled and so honored that they would even allow me in there, that they would even be interested. I love, love, love teachable people, hungry people. But one of the questions that I haven't answered them yet, but it was on their sheet is Randy, what do you think is the worst heresy that we face today in the Christian world? Heresy means false teaching. This is the worst heresy, in my opinion. A false, confusing gospel, a misrepresentation, a complication of what God wants to be simple and crystal clear. I'm a little emotional about this issue. have been for well over 30 years so let, let's dial in what, what would Paul say not what did, it, did you hear in your church not what did your pastor say not what did your latest Christian reading book say what does Paul say let's go back Acts 16 31 they said Paul and Silas what is that word well, I, what if, trust in who and you will what don't you add to that anymore if you have in the past Please, I, I'll, I'll even get on my knees and I'll beg you. Would that help? I'll do it right, right now. I'll beg you. I'm, I'm sincere about this. I am begging you. Do not give one of those other answers if someone is seeking to be saved. They're ready to do business with God. I beg you don't muddy the waters. I beg you don't take away from what God has paid for with, with his very life make it clear and make it simple trust in the Lord Jesus now we know when you trust in Jesus it will demonstrate itself by following him by immersing yourself in his teachings because to follow Jesus is to be a disciple to trust in Jesus is to be a follower is to be a disciple and a disciple is a learner Jesus said in John 8 he said that You know, my disciples, you can tell them because they continue in my word. But it all starts with trust. Until I trust Christ, I'm not interested in his word. I'm not interested in his will. Folks, the only rational relationship that a finite being like myself and like you can have with an infinite creator is one of trust. The creator, because he's loving and good, he must direct us. He must show us how to live what is best for us and the only role that makes sense for us is since he's infinite and all-knowing and we're not, we're finite and we are limited in our knowledge, is to trust him. How, how many of you, when, when you had your children they were real, real small, you told them to do things that they probably couldn't understand? How, how many have done that? I mean, you tell your kid, eat that bitter spinach and, <laughs> and don't eat the candy before dinner. And the kid's like, but the candy's delicious and the spinach is horrible. You know, but... But you, <laughs> but you, you want what's best. You know what's best, and so I don't know what's going on behind me. Did something occur? Um, so you want them to trust you. It, it's a simple relationship. Please, I'm begging you, don't muddy this up ever again. I'm, I'm gonna just ask you: If somebody says to you, "What, what what's your name?" Vicky. Vicky. Somebody says to you, Vicky, "What must I do to be saved?" Trust. In the Lord Jesus. trust in the Lord can we do this one time together congregation what must I do to be saved? The Lord Jesus. be saved and you'll be saved finished don't add to that of course they need to be taught that they need to now learn how God designed us to live so that we can experience the way God designed us to live and we have to go to God's word to do that okay all right all right i believe you that enough let me go on so this word trust uh the new testament was written in greek koine greek the common greek of the people today peace duo, this word sometimes it's pistis it just means it can be translated in our our bibles in different ways sometimes it's translated faith sometimes confidence sometimes belief sometimes reliance and then trust Trust is the better translation in most cases because it is a relational word. We stopped trusting God in the Garden of Eden. Satan slandered God. Adam and Eve trusted Satan, not God. Trust was lost. So God is now laboring to regain our trust because God can't lead us into the life that he wants us to have unless we trust him. And so that's why trust in, not trust in what the Lord Jesus has done, as important as that is, but trust in him, which then causes me to be teachable to him to want to do his will and to follow him so this this is what the word trust and faith and confidence are about let me go on to the next one so what's supremely important always this jailer went from having no concern whatsoever about God as he's revealed in Christ to being supremely concerned about God as he's revealed in Christ what's always what's always as we're trying to put together a system for thinking and making decisions in our life as to what's important this is where we have to start what's supremely important always Colossians says this chapter 1 verse 15 to 16 it says Christ is the visible expression of the invisible God in other words God has made himself completely knowable now when he revealed himself in the humanity of christ particularly his sacrificial death on the cross he meaning christ he existed before creation again for it was through him that everything was made he's the creator whether spiritual or material seen or unseen through him and what does that say for him meaning that if i'm created by christ i'm created for christ you are created for christ you will find your true self as you are united with christ as will i everything was made by him and for him also we're create also were created power and dominion ownership and authority in fact every single thing that will wa- every single, every single thing was created through and for him christ created everything but everything was also created for him i must always retain this understanding that the most supremely important thing always supremely important in my life is my relationship with christ because I was made by him and I was made for him let me add to this quickly John 15 this was the last night that Jesus was with his disciples and he's trying to prepare them to go on in life without his physical presence and so he says I'm the vine and you're the branches those who stay what does it say united with with me now, they would understand immediately what this meant. For, the, for three and a half years, they had been following Jesus every day. He was the center of their life. They lived to immerse themselves in his teaching and to seek to embody it in their lives. Every day of their lives, they learned about Christ, and every day of their lives, they tried to become more like Christ. Why? Because they trusted him. He was supremely important. He was the center of their life. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who stay united with me, with Christ, supremely important in our life, and I with them, are the ones who bear much fruit because apart from me you can't do what anything so christ is saying just like you know a branch has got to stay plugged into the vine or it's not going to have the flow the life flow we too must stay supremely devoted to christ he must be the center he must be the top of our lives always for us to have health for us to have Uh, growth taking place for us to become fruitful becoming fruitful means I am becoming more like Christ and less like my old self I am doing the things in life more and more that Christ would do instead of the things that I used to do that's all encapsulated in the word fruitful so it's supremely important Christ is supremely important in my life you say Randy you you mean you mean more important than my my spouse yes Uh, you mean more important than my kids Randy yes More important in my career? Yes. More important in my 401K? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because if we continue to keep Christ supreme, we will be better spouses, better parents, better money managers, better at our vocations, better friends, better everything. It's it's the source of our life. So if we get it down, what's supremely important always? If I know what is supremely important always, well, then it's going to make it easier for me to deal with day-to-day issues if I can go to that that end. what's really important now i can answer that question better if i know that christ is supremely important always so the jailer for example he takes paul and silas home he washes their wounds he allows his household to hear, you know, the truth about God and Christ and that kind of thing. He was already taking steps. Now, I'd love to know what happened, you know, with the rest of his life, the rest of his story, but we don't. What's really important now? So for you and I, you have, you have roles in life. Your role might be different than somebody else. You have responsibilities in life. Once again, they're going to be different. And, and you have these relationships in life. And so the relationships, the, the roles, relationships, and responsibilities are going to make what's important different for each of us at different times. What season it is in your life. Are you near retirement? Well, you're going to have one set of things that might be important. Are you just starting out uh, you know, in, in school? You're going to have a different set. So let me, let me share some scripture with you about that. But here's what it comes down to. I, I like to simplify things and clarify things. Second Corinthians 5, it says, He, meaning Christ, He died for how many? All. That's how much God He loves even the people that despise him and always will. He died for all, but he had a motive behind it. Why did Christ die for all? Well, the verse tells us that those who live should no longer live for who? So get this. Christ's sacrificial death on the cross was to try to convince me, stop living for yourself, Randy. Stop following yourself. Trust me, this is how much I love you. I created the universe and I love you enough to die sacrificially for you. It was meant to change my mind. It was meant to get me to stop living my way for myself. And instead, it goes on to say, but for who? Him, Him, meaning Christ, who died for them and was raised again. Let me read it fluidly. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him, meaning Christ, who died for them And was raised again. So that's the thing. When I'm asking what's really important now, I got to be fixated on okay, whatever's going on in life, whatever my roles, relationships, responsibilities, whatever season it is in my life, I am here to live for Christ, to live for Him, to live through Him, and to live His way, not my way. Let me go on. This gets it even simpler. It means that in every circumstance, in every season in life, this might be a prayer. That we would practice on. Teach me to what? Teach me to, <laughs> Teach me to do your will. So, whatever my role is, whatever my relationships, whatever my responsibilities, whatever season in life, I should always say, okay, God, to answer the question of what's really important to me now, what is your will in this? How, how, how should I be seeing this? Help me to see this from your standpoint. That's the question. Teach me to do your will, for you're my God. May your gracious spirit lead me forward. Um, on a firm footing one more addition to this to get God's will we have to go to God's word your word is a lamp for my feet a light on my path the unfolding of your words gives light it gives understanding to the simple so we cannot understand God's will unless we are immersing ourselves in God's word And God's Word will supply us with His will in any given situation that we're in. And so the answer to the question of what's really important now will navigate that much better if we have these things anchoring us down. All right. I'm going to go back to um, something I started with. Acts 16.30, Then leading them outside, He said, Men, what must I do to be saved? And I know what's going through your mind. Trust in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved. But just in case, just in case you haven't memorized it yet, if we could get that one more time, there we go. They said, "Trust." In, can we do it together? Trust in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. Please don't add to that ever again. Trust in the Lord Jesus. We lost trust in God in the Garden of Eden, and now he's waiting for us to come back and trust. Once I trust God, that breaks the power of sin in my life. I start becoming truly free from sin. I see it as insanity. I see it as self-destructive, socially destructive living. I see God's way as the, the best possible life ever, and I'm on that path of eternal spiritual development that God intended for me. One more time with this little figure that we started with. This pyramid that... Maslow didn't actually draw a pyramid but everybody else put his stuff in a pyramid but at the top here he had self-actualization I want to suggest this can be helpful but here's what we need to do at the very bottom the first foundation our physiological needs obviously I have to have air to breathe or I'm not going to live I have to have water to drink or I won't live more than four or five days three days maybe and so the physical needs have to be there I have to be alive but then the transcendent should be the start of my life i mean my earliest understandings and pursuits ought to be for my creator and if i do that then the rest of my life develops and this is an interesting thing we'll probably find safety and security our relationships will develop better we'll have an unshakable self-esteem and if your self-esteem is shakable I'm going to give you just one little sentence here that should stop it from ever being shaken again. You'll have to repeat this to yourself multiple times in real life situations. Christ, the creator of the universe, created you for himself. He adores you. You are wonderful in his sight. You don't have to run any faster or jump any higher. So adorable are you, so precious are you, so valuable are you, that he died on the cross for you. Do not Try to prove yourself to anyone or anything. Let your self-esteem be anchored in this. Christ created you and Christ died for you. Now, as we close out today, I want you to think about one last thing. This might be the midnight hour in your life. Chances are there's somebody in here. It's the midnight hour. Your life is very uncomfortable it might be very painful you might be facing some circumstances you would never ever have wanted to face you might be facing the feeling of being locked in trapped imprisoned and it hurts to be you we all have a choice in those situations we can be angry with God we can say why would you let this happen to me why aren't you helping me why aren't you delivering me if you love me why are you letting this happen or we could do what Paul and Silas did and we could pray and that's appropriate we might have to pray strengthen me help me help me see clearly and then we start to praise God we start to literally say I know you are good I trust you implicitly and if we do that follow with me now if when that midnight hour comes and you don't like being you it doesn't feel good being you you do what Paul and Silas did you can almost be certain someone is going to be touched you're, you're releasing an earthquake shaking power that might be the, the necessary thing to release someone that's far, far, far from God our reaction in midnight hour can be the start of a new life for somebody else that's observing us christian can you hear me if we're in the midnight hour and the people that know us the family the friends the work associates the the people that are maybe in prison too but they hear us cussing and complaining and angry at god and shaking our little puny fist at him it's not going to produce that earthquake shaking that god might be able to produce in their life if instead of being angry and cursing and confused and panicky we're praying and we're praising we all have the ability to do that because we know the truth about God's love for us and his loyalty to us from the cross he's never going to leave us he's never going to forsake us I'm just going to ask you Lie to me if you must, but how many, when you face the next midnight hour in your life, you're going to be found praying and praising, not angry, not confused, not bellyaching, not pouting. You're going to be praising and praying. Can I just see your hands? Because God wants to use our midnight hour experiences to set someone else free. And I want that. I want that more than anything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way you work. So frequently, you seem to bring us to that midnight hour, that, that place where it looks so bleak and hopeless, and then your power is released. Thank you. Thank you that you come through again and again and again. You rescue us again and again. And how we thank you that you have made it so simple for us to know that we are saved and secure and yours for a time and eternity by simply returning to you in trust. Trust in the Lord Jesus. That's the word you gave to us. May it fill our hearts. May it be just fastened to our brains forevermore. We ask it all, Lord Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.